it really does need to be a test that is worthy of the time and attention of students. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, I'm not Julie. No, you're not. No, I, I'm, I'm taking her place, but I'm sure I'm going to be a sore substitute for Julie. This is Well, I don't know. We can have a lot of fun if she's not here, you know, when the cat's away. <laughs> the mice can play, absolutely. No, but um, I am super excited about today's guest. Yeah. So we have heard, we've all heard about this amazing movement, this classical learning movement and it's exciting to see how much that has grown in just recent years. And our, our guest is going to be able to tell us all about it. Well, and the amazing accomplishments. I mean, if I were to list like five guys who've accomplished a tremendous amount in a very short period of time, our guest, Jeremy Tate, would be on the top of the list. So welcome welcome to our Arts of Language podcast, my friend. Wow. Andrew, thank you. Nathan, great to be with you as well. Absolutely. Well, I met you, I don't actually know the first time I met you. Maybe you remember. The first conversation that we had, I remember, was actually at an SCL conference at King's College in Manhattan, which was a completely and totally weird conference in my experience. But I remember having such a great conversation. I felt that that was the point where I really got to know your heart and your vision for the classic learning test. And I, I remember thinking at the time, if he can make this thing fly, that will be a miracle because you, you've gone up against the evilest forces of the world. And so uh, give our listeners just a, you know, a quick overview of what the CLT is and how you got into the determination to fight, you know, Pearson and the other evil forces behind the SAT, the college board. And and then how how big is it now? Because every time I hear, it's a bigger number of colleges accepting this as an alternative. So give us a little history. Well, Andrew, thank you so much again. And thanks for the invite uh, to be on. So, you know, we're, we're about seven years old. And, and whenever I, you know, kick off, I, I do love to tell the story of kind of why, why we started and how this thing came about. Uh, but I always think for a listener, you know, sometimes they'd be like, wow, you know, we're, we're going to talk about, about standardized testing in the college board. That doesn't sound very exciting to me. And I, I think maybe precisely because standardized testing can seem so boring, uh, it, it tends to kind of fly under the radar uh, as this extremely powerful kind of lever uh, that I think has a tremendously powerful influence on mainstream American education. I think this is one of the few concepts actually that almost every teacher uh, agrees about. And that's just the idea that testing tends to drive curriculum to at least some degree, right? What is tested ends up getting taught. Uh, David Coleman, who is the CEO of the College Board, brilliant uh, Rhodes Scholar, uh, he puts it this way, 
that it is a, it is a statement of reality, if we like it or not, that teachers will teach to the test. And the way he, he puts it is that there is nothing on earth powerful enough to prevent that. And so if we accept that that is a reality, for better or worse, that, that people are going to be teaching, teachers are going to be teaching to the test, it really does need to be a test that is worthy of the time and attention of students. And the SAT and the ACT, I think there's a myth out there that these tests are somehow becoming less important. Not at all the case. You know, millions of students take the SAT, but especially the PSAT now uh, every year. And th these are tests that uh, really do censor uh, the entire Christian, Catholic, intellectual tradition, uh, really much of the entire Western intellectual tradition. And in doing so, they drive uh, curriculum in the wrong direction. They give kids a very distorted view. And keep in mind, this is coming from the college board. You know, the college board who uh, you look at what they're putting on AP US or AP Euro, they could not possibly in some ways minimize the influence uh, of the church or Christianity more than they do. And they give kids a very distorted view. So CLT was born uh, really out of my own experience uh, working. I was working at an all-girls Catholic school, a great school, Mountain of Sales Academy in Catonsville, Maryland. And, uh, you know, it was run, run by the Dominican sisters out of Nashville. A fantastic order, one of the, the few growing orders of, of nuns in the U.S. And I uh, was also running an SAT prep company back in 2015. Uh, and I, for one, was shocked with what was on the SAT. Uh, it was very different from the test that I was taking in the late late 90s. I graduated in the year 2000. Uh, but also just the overall influence of the college board. And th this was really the catalyst for launching. I mean, th these are, you know, this is a school that has a focus on, on Christ, uh, on academic excellence, uh, a deep focus on the humanities. But there is a real tension in some ways with, with the college board. And this is what I mean. Everything in some ways that we, we tried to do, that we did as a school to market to new students, almost all of it was connected to the college board, right? We're, we're marketing on our average AP score, how many APs we offer, number of national merit, average PSAT score, average SAT score, kind of on and on. Uh, and in a moment that really hit me was when the, these, these Dominican sisters rolled out a new introduction to philosophy, uh, as well as I believe a, a Christian apologetics class. And the students didn't really want to take these classes. And I was talking to students about why not, you know, this is philosophy. This is, these are the great questions of human existence. They didn't want to take it because it wasn't five AP points. And I thought, wow, this is not good, right? The, the influence of the college board is such that at our Catholic school in Maryland, you know, there is, there is, and so, so this was the immediate catalyst. One more thing here though, and the, the timing providentially worked out this way. SAT and ACT also aligned with the Common Core Standards in 2015. Because I was running an SAT ACT prep company uh, and working even with some homeschool families, was able to hear the, the, the homeschool world, especially, was very upset when this happened. Uh, if you know anything about Common Core, I think it's fair to say it's anti fiction. Uh, the math is just weird. Not Nobody's really sure what's happening with the math. Um, and certainly uh, a, a further step towards secularism, uh, an end of education, which as classical education enthusiasts, I think many of us would would disagree on that. It's just about, you know, kind of college and career readiness. So so there is a demand for an option. Uh, and the way that it worked out providentially, I was I was also a college counselor. I knew a lot of people in, in, who were working as, as a director of admissions at places like Thomas Aquinas College or Franciscan or Christendom. And somebody said, hey, if there was another test, uh, the better reflected, you know, the academic focus of Christendom College would you be open to changing your admission standards? And the, the response right away was absolutely.
Wow, that is fantastic. So you you pitched the idea to a few schools that you knew pretty well, and then you started to create an alternative to the SAT or ACT test. That must have been kind of a daunting thing. Like, how do you do that? And I guess, you know, many listeners would want to know, well, okay, what's the difference? Does it look different? Does it feel different? Why Why is it a classic learning test? And do you have to have a classical education to take the classic learning test? Because a lot of people might think, well, you know, my kids didn't study Latin and they haven't read Homer, so I guess it won't work for them. How do you how do you help people understand what it is and how they can best prepare for it? That's a great question. You know, there, there is a built-in dilemma in kind of launching a new standardized test to compete with the SAT and ACT. And the dilemma is that in order to standardize the test, you have to have a ton of, ton of volume. You have to have a ton of test takers to actually get it norm referenced and standardized. The challenge, though, is that it's really, really hard to get a ton of volume uh, unless it's already standardized. <laughs> right. <laughs> Chicken and egg problem. That's right. That's right. We were facing this on a lot of standardized testing companies get out of it by just paying kids to test. But we didn't have we had no money, zero at the, at the beginning. Uh, and so essentially it was just talking about mission and vision, right? To give people this hypothetical, imagine, imagine it for a second, the College Board, America's most powerful educational you know, entity. Imagine if they had the, the DNA, the educational focus of, of IEW or, or the Searcy Institute or ICLE or the Society for Classical Learning. Imagine the profound impact on American education. So we were kind of casting this vision for a future that didn't exist and, and really just kind of selling that vision because there was nothing else to do. But, but, but thankfully, we were able to rally people kind of around that, including people with, with means and investors to actually have a go at this thing. So your question, what, what is actually the difference? Well, Two things here. In order for CLT to be interpreted by colleges, we have to have a concordance chart. A concordance chart is what allows you to know, well, what does your SAT equate to on the ACT or what does your ACT equate to on the SAT? So we needed, to, we needed to be able to have a concordance chart so the scores could be digestible and then used for colleges, both for scholarships and for admissions. We had to have that, but we also wanted the test to be considerably different. And so the main way the CLT is different is really just source material, all right? And then in a couple of different ways. One is we, we are drawing from the great tradition. Students who take the CLT, I mean, truly, they may read a passage from Dante, may read St. Augustine, they may read C.S. Lewis, Catherine of Siena, maybe they read Flannery O'Connor, Frederick Douglass. Uh, they're going to read passages from authors they would never see in an SAT or ACT. We've got John Paul II on, on, on our, one of our practice tests. But, but it's sometimes parents are surprised, especially sometimes our Christian parents are surprised. Oh, wow, you had, you had Darwin on the, on the CLT. Or you had a, a Nietzsche passage on the CLT. Well, I think this is a mark uh, of an educated mind, th- this ability to, to engage with ideas and understand them. Chesterton was a master at this, right? He would debate and people would say he, he understood his opponent's position far better than they did, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, so for our young people to be able to understand what Darwin and Nietzsche said and in a way without being threatened by it is really important. And this also makes us very different from the SAT or ACT is they really do, they censor material, they censor, but they, they partially do this out of, out of what are called, they, they both have a sensitivity committee. SAT and ACT both have sensitivity committees. And the idea is that uh, 
you know, if a student can in any way be, be upset or triggered by a passage, then you're not going to get an accurate score. So you need to remove that. And I get that there should be, you know, a, let's take a scenario of something like, like suicide, right? If a, if a kid dealt with that, maybe mom or dad or an aunt or uncle, you know, committed suicide, heaven forbid, the last thing you would want is a passage that would reference that, that, that would be understandable, but it's gotten really, really carried away where almost any passage now can be deemed to be offensive by somebody for some reason. And I'm, I'm currently reading uh, the beginning of the, the coddling of the American mind, but it, it's just part of this uh, attempt to kind of protect, insulate students from ideas. Ideas are inherently dangerous. Philosophy is inherently dangerous. Uh, so we put students in front of texts that might be a bit unsettling, uh, but for the most part, they're all they're all old. You know, we're, we're really drawing hardly anything even in the 20th century. And CLT source material, we go way back to, uh, you know, Plato's Plato's Republic. Now, if someone is not familiar with, say, Plato or Dante or Darwin or Chesterton or some of your selection, that doesn't really handicap them, though, because this is a reading comprehension. Uh, I assume it includes elements of grammar and or at least uh, parsing sentences to understand what they really mean. So it's not necessary for students to have read a lot of classic literature to take your test? That's accurate. About 10% of our students are, are public school students. Uh, you know, we are able to see from the, the data side that that, the, that that group doesn't do as as well, uh, especially, you know, in some of our some of our sections, you know, we have a philosophy religion section on the CLT. And so it, it's kind of both, you know, can you take the CLT and you've never read from this tradition at all? Absolutely. Right. If you can read anything in English, you can read these passages. Are you going to have, though, a, a kind of a fluency, a familiarity, a comfort? If, if you're used to, to reading these kinds of texts, you're used to reading maybe C.S. Lewis, maybe you read Dante's Divine Comedy, you're going to be more comfortable picking up, you know, similar authors from similar time periods. So we want to encourage uh, a fluency without being what you would call kind of uh, prescriptive, saying you you should have this particular course of study to do best. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and it fits in with your goal, too, which is to encourage people to read better stuff as they are preparing for the test. So now I imagine you fought a real uphill battle convincing colleges and universities to accept this test in place of the college board tests. Um, just maybe a, how did you go about that and how have you made such incredible gains in the relatively short period of, what, seven years you've been at it? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. You know, we're well over 200 colleges uh, accept the CLT. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I think in some ways, you know, colleges, especially your mainstream, more established, kind of more elitist colleges, Part of CLT they they don't really like right because uh, you know they're, they're sometimes not big fans of the Western intellectual tradition. Uh, I think CLT you know we actually have a politically diverse company, but we're pretty much all educational conservatives, meaning this this older view that education is fundamentally about the cultivation of virtue, is fundamentally about human formation, is about passing down an intellectual tradition that has boundaries and is 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 a, a set canon, right? Um, that, that is a conser educational conservative uh, kind of way of thinking. And so for that reason, I think a lot of the mainstream colleges don't really like that. And that's pretty odd. As, as you know, at IEW, 
you know, in the education space uh, at large, not too many uh, educationally conservative companies out there. On the flip side, though, a college entrance exam is really, it's inherently an enrollment engine as well. And right now, every college, not, not you know, just colleges that are struggling for students, but every college always wants more and more applicants. If you're Harvard or Yale, you want to keep your 4% acceptance rate. And they want the very, very best of the very, very best, right? And so colleges, and, and, and for a lot of other schools, uh, you know, with a, with a decline, a little bit of a decline in, uh, in the number of students going to four-year brick-and-mortar, especially liberal arts colleges, these, these schools are, are hyper-competitive for great students, especially students coming out of the homeschool world now. I mean, it's how funny, you know, two decades ago, the homeschoolers were the weirdos, and now it's colleges can't get enough of these students. And it's interesting the reason why. I mean, they, they need almost no remedial help almost ever, right? They thrive academically uh, often, and this is a big deal for colleges, right? If a student goes to college and they get in all kinds of, of trouble, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're rowdy on campus and they're, they're causing, raising, uh, raising problems. That's a big liability, right? And so there's kind of a, a premium right now on, on just like normal, like colleges want like just normal kids who are going to go to class and be involved and not cause all kinds of problems. And those typically are, are that's kind of the CLT test taker. They, they tend to come from great families, great schools, great churches, great homeschools. And so for that reason, even if colleges are a bit suspicious about this whole, uh, you know, educational conservative idea, the, the kind of students, we hear this all the time, uh, the kind of students that colleges connect with from the CLT are, are perfect mission fit students. And, and typically what will happen is a few of these students will, will, will get on campus, they'll often end up in the honors college. And then it's typically, you know, the professor, the dean of the honors college will go back to admission saying, you know, where, where did you, these students coming out of classical schools, these homeschool students, they're, they're incredible. They're dialed in, they're engaged in discussion, they do their reading. Uh, it's everything prof- the professors are looking for. So I think it's going to be, uh, you know, the, the, the more CLT is able to grow. And we're really, Andrew, trying to also, and this is something I, I know you do at IEW as an IEW fan and parent is provide a great just user experience. And what I, what I witnessed from the SAT, uh, you know, kids getting up really early in the morning, going to an uncomfortable setting they've never been in before. Somebody reads them directions for an hour. You sit there for 30 minutes after you're done. You're there for basically six hours by the time the whole thing's over. CLT, you're taking it from your house. It's remotely proctored. The whole thing is about two hours and 15 minutes, start to finish. We get results back. We work really hard to make sure that we're offering the very best uh, analytics, insight, kind of student dashboard. Well, I'm sold. Um, I'd be curious to know, what were a couple of your biggest wins? Like a school that signed on that you kind of thought they would never go for this. They're just too progressive and modern. And then they did. And you were kind of like, yes, because obviously you have to get outside the the relatively small number of private liberal arts, classical-oriented schools. So what were some of the, the victories along the way so far? Yeah, one of the biggest, of course, was, was Hillsdale. The first time we talked to them, they said, we, we love this concept, but, you know, to have the Hillsdale name behind, behind the CLT, you know, we're, we're going to do a very kind of serious vetting process. And they did. And it was very good for us at the time. This was uh, kind of all of 2017. And, and by the end of the process, so, so many other colleges knew about it. I kind of thought, man, if, if Hillsdale does not adopt 
we're done. You know, we're, this whole project is, is over. Uh, and they, they did. It was one of those moments I'll never forget, Andrew, Doug Banbury, the, the, the VP of Business Partnerships. He called and said, Jeremy, we're, we're all in. Hillsdale, Hillsdale's doing this thing. And it was it was a moment, not going to lie, where, where many, many tears were shed that day, tears of joy. Uh, it, it seemed like it was a and, you know, National Review and, and some other bigger platforms picked it up for the first time, and, and including the Wall Street Journal shortly after that kind of put us on the radar. So something interesting happened to answer your question, though, during COVID, right? We went from about 40 percent of colleges test optional to about 92 percent very quickly. And so some colleges, uh, some, even some very elite colleges, including including Princeton, including Duke, uh, especially, have said, yeah, absolutely. We accept CLT, but we're also test optional. And we'll really look at anything a student wants to send our way. Uh, and so, so it, it's a little harder to define when they say, well, t- we're test optional, we'll accept, you know, we'll accept the CLT, but we'll also, you know, accept the tap dancing video. Uh, it, it makes it a, a little harder to define who is and who isn't a CLT partner college. But I, I will add this, is that we, we do see an, uh, an increasing number of students who are in our top 5%. High flyers, high flyers. And they're sending their scores directly to Columbia, directly to MIT. Uh, MIT, which now requires uh, an SAT or ACT, but students can still opt in to supplementally submit the CLT as well. And one of the reasons that's helpful is because the SAT, I mean, if you're applying to MIT, let's say, almost everybody's got a 760 or higher. Almost everybody's got a 34 or higher, right? You're applying to MIT. And the re- part of the problem is that the SAT and ACT for decades now have competed against each other by actually kind of watering the test down, you know? So you might think, well, why, why would they water the test down? Well, it actually would give them a market advantage, right? If they became the easier path to scholarships and to admission, they would have an advantage in the marketplace. So it was kind of this race to the bottom. And it went on for decades where the test became easier and easier. People will deny this, but it is absolutely true. And in fact, when the college board in 2016, when, when they went back to the new uh, the new SAT again, and they went back to the 1600-point scale after being on the 2400-point scale, they had a concordance chart. And it's just right there on, on, on the, the new 2016 SAT, the new Common Core one for the math. Everybody gets 40 points, right, From compared to the old math score. And so it's absolutely a watering down. And, mm. um, and so CLT came in, and we were able to, to kind of hit the reset button in a way. And, and, uh, and so a score of a 115 or higher is off the charts on, on the SAT or ACT. It's, it's beyond a 36 or beyond a 1600. Uh, and, you know, th- th- this was actually a problem in the early days. You know, we were trying to get the test calibrated. Uh, and we're, you know, we've got 17th century philosophy. How are we going to equate this with passages? I mean, I'm not making this up. Literally, you know, op-eds from Bernie Sanders. How are we going to equate these two things? For, <laughs> and, then, and then, yeah, that, that's true. 2020 SAT had a uh, Bernie Sanders op-ed. How are we going to equate these two things and realize, actually, that's a big advantage for students to have some, something that can kind of showcase their academic ability in a more powerful way. Yeah, that's so interesting because I had heard about, you know, some of the larger well-known schools going test optional and I had thought, well, that's just because their their whole admission strategy is based on race and gender and orientation and you know what what you've done to prove that you're progressive enough to join their school. But, you know, the colleges they can't completely give up on academic aptitude either. So 
That's so interesting. Nathan, you had a question. Yeah, I did. And Jeremy, we've, uh, I've been speaking with Soren, of course, uh, one, of your, one of your right-hand men. And uh, you know, he'd mentioned that you guys have, of course, a curated list of, of colleges that accept the CLT. And um, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to, first off, I'm going to say we're, we're going to put that list in the show notes um, so people can get a hold of that. If they want to see colleges that are friendly to classical education, classical students, uh, we, we can ha- provide that list for them from you guys. Uh, but I also wanted to kind of ask you, I mean, it seems that CLT has kind of become a nexus point for maybe even more of the classical movement as, as a whole. Could, could you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. It's interesting you said that. I mean, it, it's absolutely been the case. Uh, and I, I think even a litmus test for some parents, you know, if they want to send their kid to uh, son or daughter to a college, the values would they value uh, that the CLT can can reflect that. And and honestly, you know, if a college is, is so uh, progressive and so kind of anti-West, it's true. They're certainly not going to be talking to the CLT. So we have heard it used uh, in that capacity more and more. I, I want to piggyback on that, and this may be an unfair question, and you can totally refuse to answer it if you want to. It's a question that people ask me frequently, and that is, what are the, say, top five schools you would send your own kids to? Like, I know you've got younger kids. Mine are all all past the age, but a lot of people would just say, you know, point me in the right direction so they can look at the list of schools that accept CLT. But you have a much more intimate knowledge of all these schools than almost anyone. So would you be willing to name the, the, the top five that you would send your kids to? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm kind of going through this now. Andrews, my, my oldest is, is a junior and I, I don't know if any of my, my top five will, will, will make the cut because she's a She's a big, a big runner and is looking to run, uh, run D once we're, we're navigating kind of some different, different factors. Uh, but in terms of like just, you know, the, the, the very best possible academic formation, I, I, I easily list, you know, kind of a, a top five here. Uh, the first one may be a bit surprising. It's actually the university of Navarra. It's in uh, Pamplona, Spain. It was founded by St. Jose Maria Escriva. It's an incredible, he also founded Opus Dei. It's 12,000 person research university. Well, one of the members of our academic board, who is a professor, uh, he, he describes it as the only uh, authentically Catholic research university in the world. Wow. Uh, and it's an amazing, uh, amazing place. I think they completely solve. And some ways in America, if a parent has a student who's a an absolutely you know a high flyer and they really care about the Christian identity, the list can can start to get a bit short if they want to find a, a place that also has all of the rankings and. Uh, you know, kind of those worldly accolades. So this is a university that's ranked third, only behind Oxford and Cambridge in Europe for best wow. teaching universities. Uh, but it is it is as, as authentically, faithfully Christian uh, as you will ever find. Do you have to do all the coursework in Spanish or can you get by in English? The, the, the first year you can do all of your courses actually in English. And then second year, it's about half of it in Spanish. But but also when you graduate with an excellent education, you know another language as well as you know your first language. Right. Huge advantage. We're running out of time, so give give us your next four, and then we'll have to wrap it up. Yeah, so I, I would add Thomas Aquinas College, absolutely onto that. Uh, I would add St. John's uh, in Annapolis. Uh, they're right here near CLT headquarters. I uh, would definitely add Grove City College uh, and Hillsdale College, uh, and let me throw in Patrick Henry College as well. I mean, these are, uh, and at many times, I think right now, well over 50%, actually, about 50% of, C- of all of CLT either went to St. John's College in Annapolis, Patrick Henry, or Hillsdale. Uh, and so we get to experience the fruit of this kind of education. Uh, these are our young people who have been taught to, to really think well, uh, to think clearly, to write well, to speak well, to speak clearly. 
so it's th- those are those are six, but there's so many more. There, there really are uh, a lot of great options still. One one last thing that I know many listeners may be curious about is uh, the SAT and the ACT. Uh, once upon a time, had an essay attached. And then, as far as I know, that essay became optional in terms of the college wanting it or not. Most of them didn't because they didn't feel a timed essay accurately represented you know, the writing skills of a student. And now I think it's just completely not done at all. Is there an essay portion on the CLT? And if not, how do colleges use those tests to know if kids can write as well as their you know, their little personal statement that they send in. Yeah, you know, College Board got rid of the, the essay. CLT has an optional essay that we allow students to do, but what it does is we, we actually don't grade it. It just, uh, it allows them to send to the college an authentic writing sample uh, that hasn't been edited uh, or anything. So the colleges appreciate that and it gives students a, a, an opportunity to kind of showcase what they can do, you know, without it being uh, copy edited uh, a handful of times. Wow, that's perfect. All right, what's your next big goal? Notre Dame, University of Chicago, what, what do you think? Where is it going to go with CLT? Appreciate you asking that. I mean, we, you know, we, we've never wanted to be kind of a, a niche classical option. You know, uh, I believe mainstream education in America has, has really embraced uh, a new kind of education. I think it's exactly the kind of education that C.S. Lewis describes in Abolition of Man and is the green book. Uh, an education that in many ways is increasingly uh, divorced from, from he uses the language of the Tao, but we, we could say, the, you know, from natural law, from reality itself. And that th- this is this is new. This has all happened in the past hundred years. Um, and so CLT wants to be a part uh, of reclaiming education that's focused on on the cultivation of, of virtue, uh, on, on moral character, on, on human formation. Uh, and, and we're grateful to be uh, alongside uh, folks that have been doing it much longer, uh, IW and uh, Andrew, very grateful uh, to your leadership. I, the first time I heard you speak was ICLE summer, I believe summer of 2016. And uh, it was it was formative just hearing you and, and now benefiting as a, as a dad from what you've built at IEW. Uh, just very blessed to have your support uh, and your friendship. Well, I will hope that uh, we meet up in person maybe sometime this year. I'm doing a lot of shows, a lot of events. I don't know, but uh, we are huge fans. I tell everyone about the CLT, and the website they should go to is? CLTExam.com. CLTExam, all one word, dot com. And we'll put a bunch of stuff in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Jeremy. I know you've got a lot of demands uh, running the organization and continuing every day to fight against the evil forces and bring more goodness, truth, and beauty into the lives of students through this means. So God bless you and keep up the good work and let us know anything we can do to continue to support you. Andrew Nathan, thank you both. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? 
This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.